listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. to This Week in Pharmacy. My name is Brady Yuri. I'm the producer at the Pharmacy Podcast Network. If you've watched the live shows, which I'm sure you have, I'm sure you've seen my face, you've heard my voice, well, you get to hear it again. Here I am. I am hosting today's episode of the audio-only version of This Week in Pharmacy. This is going to be a bi-weekly show that we do in counterparts to the bi-weekly live video version of the podcast. Now, with all that out of the way, let's get into what's happening this week in pharmacy. I've always wanted to say that. This week in pharmacy, we're talking with the leading digital health pharmacist in New Zealand, Katrina Azur, and community pharmacy business coach of the coaches, Patty Mara, who came from the PDS strategy team helping pharmacy leaders like Dr. Lisa Foss launch successful enterprises. Without further ado, here is our first interview. I will see you all on the other side. You know, bringing conversations to the Pharmacy Podcast Network from people who understand our legacy and where we're going and how we're impacting people's lives through pharmacy care. That's what we do. That's the entire purpose of this network of 50 plus providers of podcast content is is winning together and being able to help each other through things that we're good at. I'm really good at marketing. I am not don't ask me to balance your checkbook or help you with the financial side of pharmacy because you'll go bankrupt. But if you want to build your business through social media, or you want to do something that is sticky through audio content in the future of radio, internet radio is really the future. You could be listening to this podcast that is specifically designed for community pharmacy owners that really want to level up. They want better customer communications They want to be able to understand a task versus the results and fault versus problems. Um, They want to be able to build partnerships with trusted solution providers. And there are blueprints to do this. And we have someone on today that I'm featuring. Actually, we have two guests today. But first of all, Patty Mara, I kind of call her the the Jedi master of the high-performing pharmacy pharmacist and pharmacy owner because of the current book that's out right now called Up Solutions and how Patty has really domino affected so many pharmacy owners through disciples who have learned from her in order to make this spider web of uh, you drop a, a, a rock into the middle of a pond and you see those ripples and those ripples impact impact through energy and the energy and the excellence and the blueprint that she has built has impacted and affected people like Lisa Fast, one of my most favorite pharmacists in this nation, really changing the game for communities. We're going to be part of the Profit Summit Live. Um, Patty was actually a coach that actually helped and taught uh, Lisa. And look what's happening. And look how one woman's um, enterprise is now affecting so many others. And I also have another special guest that's leading the Tyson Drugstores um, Bob Lomanick, and he has been around for years and understands where we were in order to understand where we need to go as pharmacy owners. Um, so Bob 
And Patty, I am so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much, Todd. And I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So let's get going. We have a lot to talk about. I'm going to start with Patty. I kind of opened up with the philosophies that you and I have talked about before, what Upsolution stands for, and how it's positioning to be a blueprint that can be customized really for a multitude of high-performing pharmacies that really want to stay ahead of what's happening with DIR fees, PBM reforms in play, but we have a lot of work to do. The challenges as small business owners, it's very different for a community pharmacy owner, especially if you're not a combo shop. Maybe you're just straight up community. Maybe you do some long-term care. Maybe you're getting into specialty or disease state management. Regardless, you have been a steward of, of the progression of where pharmacy came from through the one and only Dan Benamos, who's once again is another one of those Jedi masters. If I ever build a Jedi council of pharmacy ownership and pharmacy guidance, you'll both be on that council. But I'm so interested in understanding what this blueprint is about and what you've built in order to once again support our the future of community pharmacy, the thriving community pharmacy. Fabulous. Well, thank you, Todd. And I so I'm so grateful to be on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Um, so as you said, there's there is a blueprint. So it's tried and tested. And um, I am going to say that absolutions, the actual term came from Chris Cornelison. And Chris's whole approach with the solution RX supplements was how do we create solutions for patients rather than sell supplements? And he graciously allowed me to use that term because that's just the focus of what I do. And part of that is, you know, in pharmacy, really in any business, but especially in pharmacy, your team are your front line. Your team are your brand ambassadors. They're the ones having conversations with patients. And if they're not set up to win, literally, the byline of the book, Upsolutions, is turning your team into heroes and your customers into raving fans. And the cornerstone, the, the linchpin of that whole conversation is your team as heroes. So my focus, well, first of all, I'm going to say there's there's a lot of challenges in pharmacy right now. Uh, and every year it seems to compound. I keep thinking that the DIR fees can't get worse. And of course, next year's they get worse. And as Lisa Foss said, um, you know, we're coming up to the DIR apocalypse or there's kind of double dipping at the beginning of 2024. And I think there's an opportunity in every crisis. And if if you're leaning into this crisis of building up a bit of a war chest of cash to be able to handle the double the double dipping in 2024, if you want to launch new programs or develop clinical services or or you know make recommendations for cash sales with your with your uh, patients, your pharmacy team are the front line. So my whole approach is how do we how do we have their awareness shift so that they have the mindset that they literally are experts compared to your patients, that patients don't even know the questions to ask to make effective decisions, and then that they are aware of, you said some key things in the beginning was, you know, that they understand the difference between the task and the result or fault versus problem, completely liberating for a team. There are many, many things that are not their fault absolutely insurance issues, not getting a script from a doctor yet. But if it deals with the patient's experience, it is their problem. 
But when we take blame out of the conversation, all of a sudden the team can lean in and start problem solving, which is what they're good at. So the Upsolutions Team Success Training is designed for pharmacy specifically for the team to be um, positioned, awareness, skill development, and then literally step into a purpose-led role that they love showing up every day because they understand the impact they get to have, how important they are to the health and well-being in their community, Whatever, whether it's a clerk, a technician, a pharmacist, it doesn't matter. Every single one has an important role in the pharmacy that creates an impact in their community. I love that. I absolutely love that, Patty. Bob, you are the godfather of sync. Um, that term has caught fire over the last five to 10 years. Your board of directors of the Community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network, which I see in my own state, Pennsylvania, which they call the PPCN, right. led by Vicki and Brandon and Antonopoulos. Um, just, but that entire whole uh, thought um, insight leadership that's being brought through through CPSN is is just brilliant. It gives me chills when I talk to people that are implementing it who are making truly those different differences. But let's back up, Bob. You you aren't the the average pharmacy owner. As a matter of fact, you're probably a performer in the top one percent throughout the nation of our nineteen thousand plus. What? How was it? Because I, I don't want to start talking age because I'm starting to get to that point where I'm getting older too. But what what in the world ha has happened to you through your years that you haven't thrown in the towel already saying, I'm sick of this, I'm, I'm tired of this. It almost seems like you're a master of the Rubik's Cube of pharmacy ownership where you're always staying ahead of it. But you are the godfather of sync. That's kind of where I want to uh, start because I'm proud to have you on. Well, thanks. It's great to be here. And you, you, you were very kind in talking about uh, earlier that that I've been around pharmacy a long time, but you know pharmacy changes pretty quickly. So I haven't been around as long as you made it sound like I've been around. But but, but no, I <laughs> I've worked my way out of that. But no, I I am still excited about pharmacy, and and we talk about how terrible the times are, but you know there's still light at the end of the tunnel. There's still there's still lots of great things that can happen, but I'll go back and, 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 you know, probably 15 years, maybe Patty, 12 to 15 years. And I was operating a pharmacy and I was that pharmacy owner. And I'm, and I'm sorry to say that there's, there's so many of them still around like this, that I felt like I had to do everything if it was done correctly. I was that guy that came to the store an hour early to, to fill the Coke machine or to put bags under the counter. And then I was that guy that stayed, you know, an hour and a half after we closed to make certain we were ready for the next day. I was that guy. And there's still so many of them like that. And so through help with PDS and, and Patty over the years, I've certainly learned how to delegate, which is the smartest thing I've ever learned how to do because all those things that I thought that I had to do myself to get them done correctly, I found out that other people could do them and do them a lot better than I could and a lot more efficiently. But let's go back to sync. So I was that pharmacy owner that that uh, you know pharmacy the the community pharmacy practice is is still I hate to say it, still very reactive. There's so many of us standing back there waiting for the patients to come in with that bottle to refill, um, and most of the time it's not 
it's not it's not time the time they're either late or usually they're late but we don't in a fast-paced pharmacy life we don't have time to check on that so that was a world i was in just getting through the day putting out fires all day every day and i just went home one night and i'll tell this this story very quickly went home one night and my family was not there i was there by myself and i just I had to take a deep breath i said wow this is not how my life was supposed to be so i thought what happened that day you know and it was the same thing as the day before you know who came in that day well we know our patients we know them by name a lot of the patients that came in that day were in the, the two or three days before they were in last week they, they were in several times so i love seeing my patients we all do but they interrupt everything I'm doing all day long. I'm busy doing something else and somebody walks in and interrupts me. So I thought, what, what can I do about it? Well, I, I had three choices. I could continue to complain about it. My family and friends were sick of me complaining. I could uh, just put on a fake smile every morning and go into the store like I was really enjoying this, or I could change. What was I gonna change? And I thought about those patients who, who came in every day or every other day or several times a month. What could, why in the world can't these people get their medications all at the same time? I was talking about synchronization. I didn't call it that at the time, but quite honestly, I was doing it for selfish reasons. I wanted my life to be easier. So, I, you know, I was being very selfish. How, what can I do? Why can't these people get their medicines one time a month? And I said, I'm going to come up with a plan. I'm going to figure out how to do this. And that way I won't be interrupted all the time. So fast forward, I went in the next day and I was all excited about, you know, look, we're going to come up with a plan where these patients coming in several times a month are coming come in one time a month. My staff said, how are we going to do that? I went, well, I don't have a clue, but we're going to figure it out. And we did. We started working on it. And it was very frustrating, very frustrating. We had so many roadblocks. Nowadays, there's manuals, the, the dispensing systems will do it for you. Sadly, very few pharmacies are utilizing this wonderful tool. As it turns out, I was being selfish. Again, I was doing it for selfish reasons, but it turns out to be a very powerful tool. But there were uh, lots of obstacles I had going through this process. So many times I wanted to throw in the towel and say, this is not worth it. This is just not worth it. Every time I'd think like that, I would think about that night. I went home very disgusted and I, to, would tell myself, I may not be going the right direction, but I'm not going back there because <laughs> I was miserable. So I kept plugging, kept plugging. When I got up to 150, 200 patients or so, I could tell the difference in the workflow in my pharmacy. My staff could tell the difference. Buy-in with the staff is extremely important. Patty talked about that. Patty was my coach at PDS. Every month, we, we kept talking about this. Long story, I'll make it real short. Fast forward to today, we're managing communicating with with patients uh over 3000 patients each and every month uh, we have 80 over 80% of our prescriptions are filled in a sync model very proactive we know what they're supposed to get a week before they get it we we it's very proactive model uh quite honestly we're we're a high volume pharmacy uh by 3 o'clock afternoon my my staff is caught up we're standing around looking for something to do now that is not your average pharmacy, but there's not a single pharmacy in this nation that could not do that by utilizing the synchronization tool. It's a tool. It's a tool. It doesn't cost anything. And why pharmacy owners are not utilizing it. So we started out the conversation. So many things that are out there, CPSN, talking about all these clinical services that 
pharmacy students are trained in school, there's not a single pharmacy school in the nation that's teaching a pharmacy student how to count by fives faster. No, they're not doing that. They're teaching them how to take care of patients. We've got to create a playing field for these pharmacy graduates. They can't do it in an unorganized, reactive business model. Synchronization is the tool that gives you the time to do these clinical services or do whatever you want to do, but you cannot do it in that reactive business model. So, Patty, as a pharmacy business clinician, where you are looking at the business as a patient and you're saying, let me see what's happening right now. What's your staff? How are you managing staff? How are you managing project management? How are you managing um, possibly taking on another pharmacy if, if that comes down the pathway? You're focused on outcomes. And just like a clinician, just like our pharmacist who dive into medication management, pharmacogenomics, um, some of this new testing that they come out for nutrition, there's so many opportunities for the pharmacist. You are helping to coach and helping to build pathways in, in plans to get a pharmacist to go to that level, to take that next level, to become a healthier business. So share with us kind of the outcomes philosophy that I love that terminology on your website because you're thinking like a pharmacist thinks about their patients. You're literally, that I say, I call you a pharmacy business clinician because you're you're digging into the the truth of what's actually happening. But talk to our listeners about that. Sure. So I'm actually going to answer that in two different ways, Todd. First of all, um, I kind of, so I have the Upsolutions team success training, and that's really the essential skill set training to set the pharmacy team up for success. Um, uh, that's, you know, the awareness, the purpose, the skills, and the positioning. And I actually found that a lot of the pharmacy owners I was working with didn't have what I call the four pillars, like the essential bare bones. How do you set your team up to win? It's kind of like if you, you have to set your team up to win and then you supercharge them by letting them loose with awareness, purpose, and, you know, and skills in the absolutions training. But the four pillars is very basic that, that everyone is aware of why choose your pharmacy. What's the outcomes that you're creating? You could say, unfortunately, we have to say in pharmacy these days that um, prescriptions, filling prescriptions and patients coming in with prescriptions are almost a loss leader. It's what's getting patients in the door. And then how are you taking care of them for better outcomes? And it has to be beyond filling the prescription or you're not in business. So that's the whole team needs to understand that. So that's pillar one. That's your value positioning. Pillar two is position agreements and position agreements are beyond job descriptions. Again, how do you set the team up to win? You have to take the guesswork out of the team trying to figure out how to win. So they understand and they're doing things, they're in, paying attention to the result, not just the task. The third pillar is team communication. Everyone has to be in the loop. They have to feel connected. Very basic. There are lots of different options at the very base levels of weekly huddle. And the fourth pillar is team feedback. You have to be giving regular feedback, not just what isn't working, but also what is working because whatever we reinforce, that's what expands. So I have to say, Todd, it's interesting. That was almost a backfill. I kind of assumed that, you know, from working with Bob and all these wonderful pharmacy owners, really the industry leaders in the States, that they already had out in place. 
And I found I had to kind of backfill that because I was working with pharmacies that didn't. Mm-hmm. And that's, I actually, can I talk about the app? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I've announced that our listeners that you have an app that's going to help to guide uh, pharmacy owners. I'm really excited about it. So please tell us about that. Absolutely. So we're launching and thank you, Todd, because we're using your podcast to launch our new pharmacy success app. So if you search on the Google or Apple store, you have pharmacy success. And when you sign up on the app, you actually will have free access. This is so important. This is my commitment. I describe myself as a passionate advocate for locally owned businesses and pharmacy in particular, because if we lose independent pharmacy, community pharmacy, we use we lose health outcomes for patients and in communities. It's so important. So this is actually my contribution. I've got a four pillars ebook that's a simple read that kind of outlines those four pillars. And then I've actually got a whole training, a training for a training video for each of those four pillars. And it's all for free, accessible through the app. I also use the app as the delivery platform for, for pharmacies that engage with me on this up solutions training. Now, Saying that, Bob, of course, um, one of my favorite people in the world and uh, who I got to work with for many, many years through PDS. So Bob was actually his his pharmacy. I built this Solutions team success training around working with his pharmacy. And then I packaged it for every pharmacy. We work, I work specifically with the teams, but so Bob, you took, you had your team go through it and we did some leadership development with your leadership team who are just spectacular. Um, what for you, what was your, what was some of the key points that you saw with your team, uh, either some of the ideas they were coming up with, the difference and how the team were engaging with each other and engaging with the patients? So, yeah, and, and, and let me back up a little bit and tell you know, Patty was my coach with PDS. I guess I can say PDS. They're, they're gone now for years. I'm, I'm talking 10 plus years. We were we spoke each and every month and and I owe a lot to her to keep me vote, motivated. If we if I was dealing with a issue, she made certain that we we completed whatever I needed to do with that issue. But she just kept me on task. And, and that was great. Looking back on it, it was really taught me how to be a leader, taught me how to run a pharmacy, taught me how to hire, taught me how to fire, just all just how to run the pharmacy. So, as we know, PDS dissolved and, and Patty and I kind of went separate ways for a while. So, ironically, I, I do have a great leadership team and we have a little table here in my office that we are, I call it the think tank. We would sit around and, and come up with new ideas and. I have I have a residency program and the, the Ole Miss Pharmacy School shares a professor that she was with me two days a week running the, the residency program. And so we were struggling. We, we had some things we wanted to do and we were struggling about how to get it down to the team, the entire organization. I employ 35 or 40 people. Leadership team was fired up about it, but how do we get it to the rest of the team? And so the 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 professor ran the residency program that's in my store two days a week. She looked at me and she says, Bob, you've kind of lost some fire since you and Patty don't have your monthly calls. Mm-hmm. I went, what? She says, you kind of lost your edge. And so that resonated. And I picked the phone up and called Patty and explained to her what was going on. We had a great leadership team. We had some great ideas. I was having trouble disseminating it down to the rest of the team. So we talked a little while and we 
participated in her up solutions program. The next thing I know we were on, was it every week, Patty? Uh, well, twice a month, twice a month. And next thing I know, she had my entire team on webinars and getting them involved. And, and we don't have time to go into all the details, but that was what I was missing is getting my team fired up. And she taught my leadership to myself and my leadership team how to do that. Now we're having those monthly calls that I used to have. I mean, the uh, meetings that we used to used to have daily huddles in the store. We created a a process, if you will, a formalized process to keep my team engaged and all the feedback that we listen to them. We we try to include them in every decision and every process. And and it, it has paid off It's a 12 week program, as Patty said. So I lost that edge. I'll be quite honest. I lost that edge of that motivation that Patty was giving me and the leadership that she had. And now it's transformed into to the rest of my team. And that's been over a year ago, I guess. And even now when, when things pop up and I talked to Patty last week and we've got an issue now and she taught us how growth comes in stages and we've been growing, we've kind of plateaued, but we've got some things that we want to do. And I told her, I said, my leadership team is getting kind of disgruntled that I'm throwing too much at them. You know, like you said, Todd, earlier, I'm throwing too much at them too fast. And she said, we need to have a coaching call. We can resolve that. So we're scheduling another coaching call because we've reached another plateau and we're going to go to another level. That is so cool. I think of the cool? most high-performing athletes. My godson is a linebacker at um, Connecticut um, Huskies um, uh, College, and, and he's in his junior year. And the intensity of his program and the comparison to other school that he another school that he was part of is like a whole nother level. His diet, his uh, sleep, um, where they're monitoring how much sleep are you getting, um, the the consistency of resting muscles, exercising muscles, uh, flexibility, the fundamentals where they're like, hey, let's not do anything fancy when you're on the field. Let's just stick to the fundamentals and perfect the fundamentals. The reason why he's accelerating and the reason why he's doing so good is he has a coach that he relies on to give him constant reminders of what the original plan was. And then once he perfects the plan in their vision, they're taking him to the next level. So a plateau, Bob, is a good place to be because that means that you've done things that Patty has coached you and followed blueprint. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't change because we all know, just like you said, in the very beginning of this conversation, Bob, you said how fast pharmacy changes and, it, and it's true, but the fundamentals and this app, which is guidance. When, when Patty said about the app before we scheduled this, this podcast recording, I got excited because I'm like an app in the hands of a pharmacy that it's been customized and tailored to, will we'll allow them to look at that device that's now become part of all of our lives. This phone is crazy of how, how intricate it's become to our lives for our finances and our planning. There's even a marriage app that you can like make sure that you're exercising your marriage and just, and there's probably apps for everything, but having an app that can keep you on schedule, that can tie you back to, um, to levels, just like you were saying, what's next, what's next, what's next. That organization is so important. And, and Patty, without giving away some of the secrets to, to attract as many pharmacists as we can, pharmacy owners, to contact you, give us kind of an outline of what that app does to keep us on track as pharmacy owners. 
Fabulous. Well, the first piece is, you know, um, there's a welcome when you when you first got in, you click the learn tab and there's a welcome, just a short message from me, and then you can download the four pillars ebook. And so that's it's a summary. It's not, you know, a hundred pages, it's probably five pages. And it just gives you a bottom line, the essential components to set your team up to win. And anything I'm talking about, for me, they have to be time generators. So it does take effort to make change and you want to make change that creates greater results. You have to be a high ROI. So for example, being clear on why choose your pharmacy and your team understands that, that is a time generator because then your team are your ambassadors sharing that message. It takes time to put in place position agreements, but by doing that, you take the guesswork out, so you dramatically increase the productivity and the sense of well-being for your team and your pharmacy. So each of these for me are time generators. The next piece is just engage in that free training. And I say it's it's free. If I was to sell this training, I would easily sell it for $1,000, at least $997. And, and um, so I don't want you to engage with it like it's free. It's not going, I'm not going to charge you for it. I want pharmacy owners to engage in it because you're, you, I can't say enough. We talk about investing in our inventory. We talk about investing in our marketing. I, I don't want to take away from that. It's hugely important. Your team is the most important profit generator in your business, period. Mm-hmm. If they're not set up to win, then it, you're not getting the ROI of the investment in them. Your team are the most important profit generator. So um, that for me, that's the key piece. And then, of course, um, there are some success stories, but we have a lovely success story of Bob. Um, if people are interested in finding out more about the App Solutions course, then there's um, a link in the app that you can set up a discovery call with me. I'll learn more about your pharmacy. We'll actually complete a pharmacy success audit that you'll get a report. And then we'll just see if there's a good fit. I have both group programs and individual pharmacy team programs. Uh, so we, we want to have a fit. Our, our whole mission statement is empowering community pharmacy to thrive and be positioned for, you know, that health hub in their community. You know, if I could, if I could just add, you know, something about the team and Patty, you may or may not remember this, but back early on in our coaching, you talked about the importance of, of having regular team meetings. And I was a little bit resistant on that. And you basically forced me to do that. And so I did. And we started having monthly meetings, one like the third Monday of each month after we closed the store. And after about three months, you asked me how it was going. And I went, well, I don't know. I, I've got an agenda I follow. And I usually just stand up there and I go through the agenda and everybody, you know, nobody wants to be there. They've got their arms folded and they listen <laughs> and they can't wait to get out of there. And she went, no, 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 you've got to get the team involved. And so I said, okay. So then I I, I changed my agenda to where I told them, I don't have all the answers, my team during the meetings. I don't have all the answers. I need your help. You're, You're the guys down there in the trenches, so to speak. I need your help. Well, once I started getting them to come up with it, you know, it took a couple of weeks or a couple of months, uh, to get my team to where they would open up and suggest something, or if we had an issue, they would suggest something. Then I would use one of their comments and put it in place. Well, after about three or four months of that, of getting the team involved, 
we could not get out of that meeting because there was so much conversation going on. Once I got the team involved and they realized that they were a part of it, they could come up with some solutions. So you, it's very valuable to have that team involved. So I, I just want to emphasize that. I'm so thankful that you put that in, Bob. And I do remember the conversation, actually. Okay. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, you know, Todd, what Bob's talking about is the third pillar of the four pillars. And I train team, I train pharmacy owners in this four pillars in the Pharmacy Success app, how to do it for free on the third pillar. I literally go through different forms, weekly huddles, you know, monthly trainings, uh, retreats the structure of it, how to engage your team, what are tips to do that? Because you, and Bob, let me ask you, did that make a difference for your team participation and the outcomes output, like the results they generated? Oh, there's, there's no question. It was, they, they were tickled to death to, to see something that they suggested put into place and then it worked, you know, not everything worked. And, and, and I established a, an atmosphere to where it's okay. If it doesn't work, we'll try something else. And so they were obviously uh, more, you know, they, they felt e uh, it was easier for them to suggest something when they realized that it's okay if it, if it doesn't work. You know, I've, I've never suggested anything that didn't always work. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's telling to me, Patty, you are not telling pharmacy owners how to run their business. You're telling them, how to build processes to scale their business and to build their business and to control um, different things within their business, including the empowerment of the people within their business. And then all that creativity and all that passion comes through all of these team members that Bob relies upon in order to take care of his patients in his community. And now the, the people on Bob's team feel like they're not just Bob's clients and Bob's patients, they're my patients and my client. And there's that pride that's that they take in. And, and at that point, it doesn't feel like a job. If you, like I said to you before we started recording, I never feel like I'm going to work. I feel like I'm going to do something that I think God, I don't think I know God, because I was open to guidance. I think that I know I got to stop saying anything. I know that I'm supposed to amplify the voice of pharmacists throughout the world. Now that we're working with an international firm. We're going to go from the United States to the world. And, and I want to keep doing that because I'm good at it. You're the same way, Patty. You're good at designing blueprints to help pharmacies succeed and thrive in a world that is so against them. We have the AMA who has kind of their pub public relation issues, which is funny because all of the physicians I ever talked to can't say enough about how beautiful their relationships are with their pharmacists, but it's sometimes it's the bureaucracy of, of organizations. Then you have the PBMs that all they want to do is make profit. And they know that it's causing harm to communities and pharmacies and hospital systems. And, and, and I think of, uh, of other attributes of business, a, a business is under attack and small businesses that are involved in healthcare are literally caring for hundreds of thousands of millions of patients every day, 330 million people that live in, in the United States in Bob there in Oxford, uh, Mississippi and in the surrounding area. It, it's now become a mission of Bob to do more for his community with the exact team that he has. So it's like Bob looks at his team and it's like, so I have X number of employees times 
times X number of hours times X number of dollars in order to do it. How am I ever going to do this? I feel like this is loaves and fishes. How, uh, how it's like what Jesus had like four fishes and a couple pieces of bread. And the next thing you know, he feeds, you know, hundreds of people. And that comes from people who are passionate, uh, Patty, and that's you. And I kind of want you to talk to our pharmacists before we wrap up about what stages do they have to take to prepare themselves for this change? Because uh, sometimes we don't make changes. Like I don't go exercise as much as I should because I'm like, oh, I don't even know where to start, right? Well, if I had a coach, it would definitely be a good place to start. So where do a pharmacy, pharmacy owners start? Well, um, so I, I want to emphasize, uh, before I answer that specifically, I want to emphasize, Todd, because I think you said something really important. Uh, when I work with a pharmacy owner, they are the expert at their pharmacy. Yep. I'm not a pharmacist. Right. I don't own their pharmacy. They're an expert. They're actually an expert at their team. They know who their people are. They know their patients. That's not my role. That is their role. You are spot on. Um, now, my role comes in, as you said, the blueprint. How do you set your team up to win? How do you empower and engage your team so they understand their role as purpose and ambassador? And then how do you scale? And I am just fortunate enough to bring in such great talented industry leaders like Bob, because when we got the team set up, my next thing is what's your sync program like? <laughs> you know, that's not my expertise, but Bob, it sure is. So um, I think to answer your question, Todd, I think we're at a shifting point. Um, you know, there is always a crisis, an opportunity in crisis. Mm -hmm. And so I really think this DIR, as Lisa Foss says, this DIR apocalypse that's coming. Listen, it's a good thing that DIR fees come out at point of sale because then you know when you're filling the script what you're getting into versus after the fact finding out the DIR fee was more than the reimbursement, yeah. right? But that first couple of months, the crisis of that first couple of months to have the cash flow to cover the double dipping, that's going to cause pharmacies to change how they're thinking about what their business is. It's not dispensing medication. I can't say that loud enough. It's not dispensing medication. It is about taking care of your patients. Yep. So if you look at who your patients are, Bob's origin story of sync is a perfect example. He built something to create better outcomes for his patients, but also streamline the pharmacy. So he wasn't pulling his hair out. That's a perfect example. So this, the opportunity this year, I really think, is for pharmacies to start paying attention to how do you add on cash sales? But it's not how do you create more revenue, it's how do you create bigger impact? What can you offer that creates better outcomes for your patients? And then are your team set up to be able to deliver that, to have those conversations? I, I think that's the starting point. And, and there isn't one right answer. Each pharmacy is different focus, different talent. Yep. You know, some for some, it's clinical services. For some, well, for everyone, I think, should be increasing their sync program. But for some clinical services, some of it's more supplements. Some, But there are so many uh, testing. There's so many options. And I love your network that you bring these options to life as possibilities. And then for the pharmacies, it's choosing what's the next one to engage with, get up and running, get the team educated on. And then what's the next one? And if you're listening, your patients will actually tell you what they want next. So that first step, 
you know, going back to what you asked, Todd, I think that first step is to really embrace there is an opportunity this year. And um, going back to preparing yourselves for change, I think one of the challenges is especially with one store pharmacies versus multiple store pharmacies, multiple store pharmacies have figured out how to leverage, but one store pharmacies, the owner and the leadership are going to have to find time in an already busy schedule to make that initial shift to start paying attention to what else and how do we set the team up to win and what does it look like when we launch? You know, Bob, your story was just perfect, but you had to, in the middle of being tired and long days, you had to start to make a decision to change. And then what are the resources to support that? Yes, I've worn those shoes. I was, I have been there. I understand exactly where people are and I still hear, well, I can't do that. Well, if I can do it, they certainly can do it. So it can, and what it, it doesn't matter what you want to do. If you don't have time to do it, it gets very frustrating, very frustrating when you're fighting, fighting, fighting. And, you know, you mentioned that that I, I, I started this sync program to help my patients. Quite honestly, again, I, I did it for selfish reasons, but then I realized what it was doing for my patients. It was keeping them adherent. It, it gave me an opportunity to, to do more with them. Can I focus more on diabetes education or or do they need supplements? It doesn't necessarily have to be a clinical services per se. That is a clinical service, by the way, if, if they're taking medications that depleting, you know, they, they need supplements. So having the time to recognize that and then doing something about it. Um, I told a student just the other day that that with our proactive business model, we, we talked to 3,000 patients communicate with them each and every uh, every month. We don't necessarily talk to them. We, we use a lot of te- uh, text messaging. But anyway, uh, we communicate with them, and we find out what's going on. If they do not want their metformin for diabetes, we know that they are not taking it, and we do something about it. So you mentioned change coming up. You know, one of my mentors years ago, he made a comment that, you know, everybody wants progress but nobody wants change, but you can't have one without the other. That's brilliant. I love that quote. I love that thought because um, there are a lot of pharmacy owners who have reached a position or a part of their career where they become complacent and very comfortable. And the next thing you know, they have to close shop or they have to sell out because it's, it's not sustainable today. It's I, the, the momentum of the need for healthcare reform, which is the the biggest of the universe of everything that we're working within, and you start to sector down into how pharmacy impacts people's lives with nine times you're seeing your patients uh, versus them seeing their their primary care mm-hmm. physician, and how many people are getting other services that have nothing to do with the prescription from their pharmacies and in in the guidance from their pharmacies, lifestyle management and like you're saying, testing. We have a company that we worked with called um, Babson Diagnostics who does blood testing in community pharmacy. And they'll be releasing this when the FDA gives them their third and final approval um, because of all the craziness that happened with other providers that tried to do exactly the same thing. But they've perfected it where they're able, able to say when they chose, when they were getting their their funding, they didn't choose hospital systems. They choose. They chose the community pharmacies 
because they're like, this is where patients are showing up. This is where they're going for the basics of basics for healthcare and the most intricate and more complex services are still coming back to pharmacy. It's still, it's still saying, Hey, I'm a diabetic or I have hypertension or I have some type of sexual dysfunction that is causing my relationship to fall apart. I want to go to my community pharmacist because they know me. I trust them. What do I do next? You know, how do I feel better? How do I have more energy? Hey, I'm a, uh, shout out to my godson again. I'm a I'm an athlete. What what should I be taking to get full performance out of what I'm doing? If you don't have a structure that Patty's going to help you put into place, you're not going to be able to bolt in the next thing in order to keep growing to to get away from just making money on that dispensing fee. That's not the future of pharmacy. The the future of pharmacy is the outcomes. The future of pharmacy ownership is also the outcomes. That comes back to what Patty believes in, and the app's going to help guide you. It's it's the you know Doctor uh, Patty um, Mara, you know the the business pharmacy clinician taking you through this process. Let's get your physical done. Let's see what's going on, and let's put you in place to go out there and be the best, most powerful pharmacy that you can be for your community, and then rinse and repeat so that you can bring on more clients and more programs and. And more success. So Patty and Bob, this has been inspirational for me. I love hearing these stories. Patty, you and I, this is the beginning because I want you to come to the network and share these insights and bring other pharmacy owners like Bob to discussions so that we can begin a, a small fire that's going to blaze through the podcast airwaves um, through anywhere that you that you get a show and rinse and repeat so that we can show up together at some of these uh, national conferences and and give each other hugs and say, you know, we did it. We're on the right track now. Todd, you mentioned your godson, stepson, whatever, having that coach. Exactly. You know, and, and, my, and my team, and, and they fire back at me a little bit now, I talk about how important a coach is, how important Patty is. And now my team realizes it. They they saw a change in my whole organization when I brought Patty back in into play. Well, you know, Tiger Woods, the best golfer on the planet, no tell how many coaches he has. Of course, yep. my team says, you're not comparing yourself to Tiger Woods, are you, Bob? I said, well, no, because I do play golf and they know that. But my point is that if you think you're the best, there's still somebody out there that can bring value. And that's exactly what we did with Patty. We thought we had things really going here until we brought somebody from the outside that could take a look at it. And I had experience with Patty. I knew, and, and, I, and it was immediate results once I brought her back into play. So, well, I'm excited, Patty. This is um, an honor to have you uh, becoming part of Pharmacy Podcast Network and your insights. I want to give a shout out to pharmacy owners that want to reach out to you. What's the best place for them to go? Where, where should they be going to be able to, to to get in touch with you? Well, I'm going to say the app, uh, Pharmacy Success. Just do do a search for Pharmacy Success and start there. And um, success at pharmacysuccess.com actually gets you into the process. Uh, and part of that on the app, you can directly book a discovery call with me. Of course, pharmacysuccess.com, then all of our, you know, social media, you know, contact us. I'm, a, I'm around in a lot of places and I am happy to talk to anyone. Again, passionate commitment to the success of community pharmacy. I think this is one of the most important for, a, I'm a passionate advocate for 
for communities and to have thriving communities, we have to have thriving businesses yep. and community pharmacy is the cornerstone of that. Absolutely. Amen. And by the way, pharmacists out there who want to build their own community pharmacy someday, do not go it alone. There are so many organizations, including CPSN, your wholesaler, people like Patty, people like myself um, that will guide you and get you to the right people to help you launch your own community pharmacy. And um, I want to see that happen. I want to see community pharmacy on the growth again, um, as it, you know, as it was, you know, 10, 20 years ago, where it wasn't as difficult to do the standard, but I don't like standard. I don't want to be average. I want to be that next level. So, and that's the type of people that, that Bob, that we're talking with you today, it's, it's that, it's that high performing next level pharmacist and pharmacy that's going to drive um, the outcomes that we want in our communities to strengthen our outcomes and to do more um, together. And I always say hashtag together RX. So um, search to right. find us. But thank you both for uh, being here and a shout out to pharmacists and pharmacy technicians. You're my favorite people in healthcare and, and what you're doing for people throughout the nation. And um, I just thank you for listening today. Please look for us on all of your podcast apps. If you aren't subscribed, subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify or or um, Hootsuite or any of the, the systems that are out there, you can find us. But Patty, we have uh, episodes coming with you. So I'm excited about that. I'm looking forward to it, Todd. Together, we're going to have an impact. Together, Rx. everybody i hope you enjoyed that interview here i am as promised on the other side of that interview here to bring you some events that we will be attending as the pharmacy podcast network we are supporting first in the lineup is the nacds it celebrates their 99 oh my gosh they celebrate their 90th year converge august 12th through the 14th san diego california my personal favorite city ever i don't know if i'm going to this one but I'm gonna to talk to Todd about that because I'd love to attend. Uh, next, we have the Profit Summit Live. Uh, I know I will be in, in attendance for this. This is in Dallas, Texas, August 4th through the 5th. This is Dr. Lisa Fast's event. It was my very first conference. It's always a blast, always great to connect with people. I hope I see you there. Uh, we also have Softwriter's 13th Annual User Conference. That's September 11th through the 13th. And that is at the Encore Boston Harbor in Everett, Massachusetts. You'll be hearing from people like Scott Beatty, the president of Softwriters, and Joshua Porter. Be there or be square. All right, next up is our last interview for This Week in Pharmacy. It has been a pleasure hosting this show. Um, I'm not one to be in front of a camera, so this is, this is my element. Here I am, being able to play with my voice and audio, and I can make fun effects like this. I uh, just copied the same effect I used before. So anyways, here's the next interview. I hope you enjoyed and please make sure to tune in next week live on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, This Week in Pharmacy, 2 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you there. Telehealth and telemedicine and what is now being called telepharmacy where pharmacists are utilizing the internet um, secure connections that would be a little bit tighter than like a Zoom application and understanding that there are patients that are having a very hard time seeing some of their providers and follow up 
meeting patients where they are with the advent of explosive uses since the pandemic um, for telehealth and telemedicine. I look for leaders in spaces that use those technologies throughout our country uh, and leading pharmacists, but also throughout the world. And what are what are pharmacists doing in other parts of the world? What are our pharmacists in Ireland doing in community? Or what about London or Dubai or Australia? Well, we're talking with uh, pharmacist Katrina Azur tonight from New Zealand. And I am thrilled. She is known as the pharmacogenomics uh, telepharmacist. Uh, and um, Katrina, I am thrilled to have you here tonight. I am thrilled to um, be on this conversation with you, Todd. I can't believe, you know, this pharmacist from this little country in the beginning, I usually say the end of the globe, but we're actually the beginning of the globe is um, being hosted on this podcast. It's an absolute privilege. And I'm so pleased to be sharing um, some insights with you about my passion for pharmacy and specifically virtual healthcare. Pleased to be here. Thank you so much. You are an avid writer and there are organizations that use your writing to forward a lot of what I prefaced in our conversation. One of those things is the telepharmacy initiative, that is medication management through connection, through the internet, through our mobile phones or some web app that we can slow things down for the patient. Everything's busy in the pharmacy. We have mm -hmm. hundreds if not thousands of, of patients coming through the pharmacy. Telepharmacy gives us an opportunity to slow things down a little bit start asking some additional questions about a patient's condition, maybe pulling out some mysteries that they didn't understand based on the pharmacist insight. I want you to start out by just letting our listeners know a little bit about yourself, um, what you're practicing and what you're concentrating on, and then your love for telepharmacy. Um, so hello everyone again. So I'm Katrina Azar. I am a telepharmacist and the reason I use that title is I practice mainly or actually the, my only method of practice is via telepharmacy. Uh, I have a number of varied roles. So I am part-time or 15 hours a week a pharmacist in a primary care facility or in general practice we call it here in New Zealand. Uh, the rest of the time I am a consultant pharmacist. So I have my own uh, consulting practice, private consulting practice, where I uh, implement pharmacogenomics in um, addition to CMM and uh, medicines therapy assessments and the likes of that. And I'm also a writer, and that takes a little bit of uh, time uh, that I invest in writing uh, almost on a daily basis. It's actually become more of a hobby and a habit rather than a job. And this is absolutely where I've been. Um, and relay my concerns and ideas and opportunities and the challenges that face the pharmacy profession. And one of my main roles, I guess, that I should probably disclose is I'm also a board member of the Pharmacy Council of New Zealand. So this is the regulator that governs pharmacy practice and uh, competence standards of pharmacists here in New Zealand and ensures that pharmacists practice safely. And the other thing that you wanted me to allude to is my passion for telepharmacy and absolutely love telepharmacy. I think telepharmacy, I would say, saved me 
uh, my role in telepharmacy grew out of a potential or uh, a recognition that if doctors during the pandemic started adopting virtual healthcare, why couldn't pharmacy do so? And how my role started in this primary care facility with telepharmacy is I called reach out to the CEO and I said, you know, I'm a pharmacist. Uh, can I offer telepharmacy or virtual healthcare services uh, that a pharmacist led through your primary care? And he was like, I don't even know what a pharmacist does. <laughs> and so uh, we jumped on this call. I introduced myself, talked about the massive contribution that pharmacists provide to, to patient care, how they can save patients from medication-related harm, and provided him with all the evidence, so kind of like a pitch deck. And Eventually, I was um, hired by that company, and that's how my role started in telepharmacy. And it was, I think, it was the flexibility that uh, telepharmacy offers or virtual care offers that pushed me to that avenue because I was uh, really drained from retail pharmacy. I loved retail pharmacy. I loved my patients, but um, it was the flexibility of and and or the lack of flexibility of the working, you know, forty hours a week, nine to five when you're a busy mom. It was just very difficult. And I think this is the beauty of telepharmacy, right? Is it equally meets patient needs, but it also uh, meets the the job demands of pharmacists of the twenty first century or the millennials specifically who are. Uh, at a moment in time when they don't necessarily have the capacity to be present in a in the four walls of a building nine till five when they have so many other responsibilities. So it confers uh, a lot of benefit to both provider and patients. And this is what I absolutely love about it. Katrina, you are also known as New Zealand's first digital pharmacist. Um, yes. Quoted in Pharmacy Today. And that's exciting that you, you know, you don't, sometimes we don't intend to become leaders in things, but then all of a sudden when you step out and you start pushing and you start innovating, you're kind of the go-to person for that initiative. So I want to just say congratulations in your representation of pharmacists in telepharmacy and telehealth and how important that is. Because in the United States, our patients, our people, there's 330 million Americans they are seeing their pharmacists nine times more than they're seeing their primary care physician. And that means that there's more opportunities to influence decisions. And when I think of the busyness of our culture, as you said, um, being a mom, being a professional and uh, having to go to work at a, a retail setting and how that was very daunting and it can become very tiring because it's so repetitive. Sometimes it starts to feel maybe like fast food based on the metrics that are um, deemed that they knew need to do. Oh, you got to get these 300 prescriptions done, or you got to get these 600 prescriptions done. Instead of slowing down in a telepharmacy environment where you can say, I have a closed environment with my patient and myself. I get to dig down into conditions. I get to talk about maybe pharmacogenomics and understanding how does this med impact you how are you metabolizing this you know based on your dna or whatever it is but expand more upon how you've become um, a champion in telepharmacy and also uh, let's talk about pharmacogenomics as well so i didn't advertently champion telepharmacy just like you alluded to previously sometimes we don't choose to lead things but i believe that when you open yourself up to opportunity and seek it it honestly just shows itself to you. And this is exactly what happened with me. Um, when I reached out to this uh, primary care provider who was uh, operating digitally at the time, 
and I offered my services. And I look, I had no idea how it would shape up. I didn't know how to bring it to life. I just had an idea, right? And um, it manifested as me just, you know, operating from my office at home and eventually uh, grew into, you know, me providing uh, comprehensive medication management services and MTAs virtually. And like it, the beauty of that is, like you said, it just slows you down from the hustle of operating in a retail environment to concentrating on the patient and just being able to see the patient at home. Um, and it's not the same as sometimes people say, oh, isn't it the same? Like in some countries, they provide medication uh, review services, but they actually physically, the pharmacist goes to physically visit the patient. And I did do that in my previous role when I provided medication reviews to retail pharmacy, but it's never the same as jumping on a call and a virtual call because patients don't need to tidy up. They don't need to remove things. They don't need to remove their medication. So you really get a a real view of exactly what is happening in their home. So the other day, for example, I was providing this, uh, you know, medication review to a patient and her medications were scattered all over the place, like literally, you know, and she's like on 13, 14. I'm like, how do you even do this? You know, and this provided me huge insight into how I can enhance patient care by making it easier for them to use their medications, how, you know, what we tell patients to do is so different to what patients actually do. And if I was doing that medication review in a retail pharmacy setting, either the patient would have brought all the medications to the pharmacy for the review, or if I had visited them and given them notice that I'd be there, they would have prepared the space for me and got all their medications there and then. So the insight it provides you is just irreplaceable. Like, I would not have seen that if I had not had that phone call. And this allowed me to shape the service and expand it, grow it with that virtual care provider, and then bring it into my own consulting practice with pharmacogenomics. How I lead that in New Zealand is um, in the last couple of months, telepharmacy services have been funded by the government for specific rural areas and specific pharmacies. And look, I don't, I don't think I had a great role in that, but the role I did play is create the awareness that this is a possibility. So talking about it, you know, I've been writing about it in, in pharmacy magazines here in New Zealand, talking about it to, to colleagues saying, this is a possibility. Every If I can do it, everyone can do it. And this is how the idea grew. So I think we undermine the influence of conversations and of, of just speaking up our ideas and that could have huge influence the more you repeat an idea and say it's a possibility the more it's likely to to gain momentum and this is exactly what happened after talks and talks and talks with colleagues who took that idea forward now it's become a possibility and through retail pharmacies some pharmacies here in New Zealand will be able to provide virtual care to their patients um, through, accompanied with the minor ailment scheme so that's one way how I kind of you know, explored and expanded on that idea here in the New Zealand setting. And I brought that into my pharmacogenomics practice. So for those people who are pharmacists who are listening, who do not know what pharmacogenomics is, I have a little bit of a backstory with it as a patient who, you know, uh, had a tumultuous um, time as a patient for about five to six years of my life, uh, suffering from chronic kidney pains that uh, were not responding to medications. And uh, it's actually, it was actually on LinkedIn uh, through some colleagues um, that I saw this thing called, you know, pharmacogenomics. I explored it. What is it? Reached out to a lab in America, got a test. And, you know, lo and behold, I am 
not a great responder to some medications. And for me, it was like this epiphany moment and a moment of validation, you know, almost brought me to tears, you know, all those years that I've been told I, I you know, I'm a drug seeker or I don't respond to this or that and labeled, um, you know, it came to, to life when I was told, when I found out that actually, no, there is something really wrong with me. And uh, there's nothing more powerful than a personal story to give you a purpose and when I found that about myself I wondered how many patients other patients are out there who would have the same experiences and I made it kind of like my purpose to lead the pharmacogenomics space in New Zealand as well so I'm the only pharmacist in New Zealand with pharmacogenomics accredited and I received my accreditation from um, University of Pittsburgh actually and yeah, so it is something that I'm working on here as well. I'm leading a few projects in the New Zealand space to expand pharmacogenomics here. Um, and I'm really excited about bringing uh, this, this service to our patients because I feel like it's so, it is so important. It underpins pharma, you know, our practices, pharmacists, you know, giving the right medication to the right patient at the right time and something that suits their genes. Um, so yeah, this is how I'm, this is what I'm working on and this is pharmacogenomics and this is my consulting practice. Yeah. So exciting just to hear you say that you're leading and, and like you, like you and I both agree, we, you don't, we don't, I didn't set out to lead podcasting in the pharmacy profession in 2009 when I started it. It was because I didn't have time to blog anymore. I was in planes and I was in the airports too many times, didn't have time to write. So I was like, maybe I can just talk to these people and record these conversations. And now it's turned out to be the the biggest podcast in our pharmacy profession. And with that um, comes an opportunity to impact and inspire other healthcare providers. And you have that same opportunity in not only New Zealand, but now that you're um, uh, part of the PPN, the Pharmacy Podcast Network globally, really in what you're doing. I want to make uh, just a note before we had our interview. I wanted to see what's going on in telehealth specifically from the investor's perspective. So we're talking about um you know, Wall Street Journal, for example, what do they think um about uh, telehealth? So telehealth and telemedicine market is valued right now at $88 billion, and that was in 2022. They are projecting, and this is uh, about seven different sources of information, have come to a conclusion that they are expecting by 20, 2030 that the market in that is specifically telehealth and telemedicine, which includes telepharmacy, is projected to be $578 billion. It's massive. That's seven years from now, right? Yeah. And what that tells me is pharmacists that are listening, regardless if you're in New Zealand or Australia or London or here in the United States, telehealth, telepharmacy, there is a huge opportunity to take the baton from our primary care physicians after something has been implemented and doing everything in your passion to assure that the patient stays adherent um, that the patient has an opportunity to, to to maybe titrate. Maybe the maybe the patient has had four or five physicians over ten years, and now they're taking twenty two medications. Right? It's time maybe for that pharmacist to take a um, a telehealth opportunity to slow some things down, 
look at their environment, as you said, where you got to, you know, visually see that their medications were everywhere and ba and basically say, is it time to um, maybe de-prescribe some of these medications that have cultivated over the years? Because our primary care physicians here in the United States are just overrun with so much to do. And it's time that our pharmacists take a stand and, and start doing some of the um, follow-up work of those treatments and counseling um, with patients. And, and I would expect that probably New Zealand is facing those same pressures, but tell me about that. Yeah, look, absolutely. New Zealand is facing the same pressures worldwide. Pharmacy is facing the same pressures. Um, and, you know, I alluded to that in, in the article, you know, uh, my article about the a call to action to pharmacy regulators, institutions and leaders is that we really need to shift our mindset to what can pharmacy maximize on? What is our core skill set that is irreplaceable by robots, by dispensing machines, by whatever it is? What can we automate? Because as you said, there is global and there is huge demand on primary care practitioners, specifically our MDs and doctors, you know, and, and patients get into the cycle where they've cultivated a huge number of medications over time. And that's purely due to, to poor time and, and time constraints and primary care. And so if we pharmacists want to help, not only do we need to think what can we do better, what can we maximize on, we need to actually delegate some of the tasks that we're currently doing because time is the biggest barrier in providing good primary care or good health care, right? You know, pharmacists are under time pressures. Doctors are under time pressures. Every other healthcare professional is under time pressures. You got to, you know, they so they're so uh, stressed about time and consultations that sometimes, even if when I've been to my GP or my doctor, I don't know if they're listening, right? Hi. And and you know, like they're facing a screen. They're not facing you. And and you would think, right, in the twenty first century, that you'd have some type of autopilot automating the conversation, and you wouldn't need a doctor to be typing everything into a screen. And I think there are things like that, that are being worked on. But similarly to pharmacists, we need, if we're talking about AI and its potential in healthcare, we need to automate as much as we can take it off our hands as pharmacists specifically in the retail setting so that we can focus our core competencies on the tasks that only we as human pharmacists can do, which is counseling patients, medication review, CMEMs, explaining the, the aspect of genetics, getting pharmacogenomics out there, getting people taking the right medications for the right doses, reducing the over-prescribing. Over um, synchronous and asynchronous care, and this is a big aspect in telehealth, when you're communicating with a patient synchronously at the time they're there, and asynchronous care, which is through messaging and emailing. And I use that a lot in my practice. You know, if I'm following up with a patient about blood pressure medication, I don't need to call them. I don't need to bring them into a virtual healthcare consult. Hey, how's it going? Did you measure your blood pressure today? What was it? Yeah. Kind of remote patient monitoring in a way. And this is another thing that's coming, remote patient monitoring. And so we need to, to, to harness the potential of technology to help us reduce the burden on healthcare. What I see happening is still pharmacists are focusing on dispensing and reimbursements of dispensing. We are still driven by metrics that drive volume rather than value-based healthcare. And one of the things that I see being said a lot is, but I'm not being reimbursed for this. And look, with my regulator hat on and having sat in arenas and forums about, you know, to do with funding and, and so on, is healthcare is not going to reimburse you until they see 
the improvements that you make in patients' healthcare over a set period of time, six months, one year, you need to give the numbers. This is how much you've saved healthcare healthcare system. This is why I'm worth being reimbursed for this service. So as much as we provide all these lovely services, whether you love services, whether you're a consultant and, and retail pharmacy, whatever job you're doing, and this is part of what I'm doing with the primary care provider and my consulting practice, capture the data, write things down, write the interventions, write the outcome. And then you can go and apply for funding or reimbursement and say, look, th these are the metrics and ask and, and, and all all that don't forget to actually ask patients for permission because this is something that we often miss ask the patient for permission but capture the data and then when you apply for reimbursement you're going be more informed you're going to be more informed and you're going to inform the the reimburser as well and this is something that is really important that i you know always focus on i think that you are um passionate enough to be referenced in the examples that you're building day after day as a pharmacist in the trenches, actually doing the work. Um, what I what I fear happens in in chambers and in in closed environments, hospital systems that aren't really sharing information because they're just too busy, is we're not talking about the successes of the implementation of technology, especially during the pandemic where the entire world was uh, scared and not sure exactly what was happening next. It was the pharmacists here in the United States that were doing all the testing, um, were doing the follow-up uh, immunizations and, and and giving the the vaccines, and that taught our healthcare system here in the United States a lot. Not only about pharmacists, goodness gracious, that was number one. Number two, it was the use of telepharmacy, telehealth internet connection, secure internet communications to say, wow, if we have the basics information about this patient, we can now implement more healthcare touch and services and communications by putting our nurse practitioners on um, with our patients, our pharmacists, our psychiatrists, um, you know, our physicians, our physician assistants to really continue to collect data and then share that data between providers and the electronic health records positioning within um, the world of, of healthcare. So as someone who is practicing in New Zealand, but you're so well written in with the information that you share on LinkedIn, that's how I found you. Uh, what's, your, um, what's your advice for pharmacists who like you are very innovative uh, what steps should they be taking? Uh, one of the steps that you suggested was documentation, but what else is in place that, that can help accelerate the use of, of telepharmacy? Explore the, the, the potential for telepharmacy to bring it to your practice. You know, whether you're a consultant pharmacist, whether you're in mental health, mental health care facilities, aged care, whatever setting you're on, you're in at the moment, you can bring telepharmacy to your scope. You can expand to that area. There are no barriers. If you are facing a challenge, say you're working for a provider who is a bit resistant to bring it uh, on board, talk to them about the benefits, show them the data. And there is research to show that virtual healthcare can uh, specifically help patients with chronic diseases and chronic disease management do a pilot and this is what i did at the beginning i said look this 
when I was contracted, contracted myself to the provider, I didn't actually have a permanent contract. I said, look, we're going to try this. If it works, I'm here. If it doesn't work, I'm happy to leave, <laughs> you know, don't, because that's the thing is as providers or someone who's paying you to provide the service doesn't necessarily want to be bound by a contract. But if you do a pilot and you prove the value and the service, they were and, and they will be more than likely take willing to take you on board permanently. If you're operating it from your own um, practice, if you have an own consulting practice, um, I do highly encourage you to not just operate in, in person, to operate virtually. There are platforms that uh, can be used to provide virtual telepharmacy services, virtual care. So there is DocsyMe, uh, there is Teladoc. I think there's a couple of others. I'm not, can't really remember the name right now, but Think about what are the actual challenges to you implementing telehealth, because a lot of it are a lot of them are actually perceived challenges or the the reluctance to adopt a novel approach to providing our services. You know, we're so used to talking to patients face to face that we just can't envisage what it would be like to talk to patients virtually. And like I said earlier, there are a lot of misconceptions about telehealth not offering the same level of care that an in-person would. But as I said earlier, uh, specifically when it comes to asynchronous care, which is messaging and emailing, it can be a hugely valuable tool to communicate with patients, specifically if they're at work, they're busy, they don't have to respond at the time. It gives them that opportunity to engage with you in a less formal basis and keep that communication channel going and help uh, you to oversee their medication management, specifically when they're starting new medications, switching medications, managing side effects, and so on. So a huge opportunity there uh, to explore that avenue. And just don't be afraid to start something new. Um, don't let fear be the barrier to you adopting a new service, because often, well, 99% of the time for me, I was the only barrier to implementing anything new. So your mind can really push you back. It can make you very reluctant to, you know, invest in anything new, but it is really, really worth it. So I do encourage you to write down what you think the barriers are um, and you find the answers. You know, there are a, a myriad of articles and information about the value of telepharmacy and often, more often than not, you will find a solution to whatever barrier you come up with. The only barriers that you won't be able to deal with are the ones that you create, and they're often unreal barriers. So, yeah. So you wrote something special, and it's the whole reason that we're here, um, um, ha being able to share this time together. You wrote a piece on LinkedIn that said, 10 key pharmacist insights, a call to action for pharmacy leaders, regulators, and institutions. The reason why I read this article and the reason why I reached out to you with so much excitement is because so much of these 10 key pharmacist insights were extremely similar to what's happening here with our pharmacists in the United States. And because of that, I'm like, that's it. I have to get Katrina on the show to really share this. Let's talk about this article that you wrote. And by the way, in the show notes of this podcast, I'm going to have a link to Katrina's article. If you're not linked in with her on LinkedIn, please uh, look her up. It's Katrina Azur, A-Z-E-R. Um, not to give you an influx of direct messages, but I'm sure that oh. the 
a lot of pharmacists that will reach out to you. But let's talk about this um, this key article that that I think was very well written and very well thought out. The ten key pharmacist insights. So this article manifested out of an idea that I had. Uh, well, so I do get a lot of DMs, by the way. Um, and and whoever whoever is listening to this, if you reached out to me and I have not responded, <laughs> yeah, my my inbox is a bit ballistic at the moment. Um, but yeah, I used to get a lot of DMs with pharmacists sharing their concerns. And I think some of the things that we've touched on earlier in this podcast, like how do I get into to practice telepharmacy? How do I get into primary care? How do I, um, you know, grow my idea and bring it to life sort of thing um, are things that I've actually shared a lot in my with people in my DMs. And some specific direct messages from pharmacists, I felt the need to explore their challenges a little bit more. Uh, the reason I did that is because I saw the same themes coming through in pharmacist conversations, you know, the ones, both the ones that have shared messages with me and the ones that, you know, through the posting on LinkedIn, I can see what pharmacists globally are facing. And I contemplated the idea because I thought, is there actually any pharmacist out there who is truly satisfied and fulfilled with how they're practicing pharmacy. And if that is the case, why is that so? And I found that the ones that really, really enjoy pharmacy practice, the ones who have got the best of every aspect of pharmacy practice out there are the ones who have created their own consulting practices and kind of practice on their own. You know, they've taken the the uncharted, we're headed into uncharted waters, not knowing what the hell they're doing, kind of like me, but just through curiosity navigated the way uh, and found their purpose and the reason they have succeeded is because they have let go of all barriers of fear they have challenged all status cures they have done everything that they were told they cannot do and this is for, this for me is like the pinnacle of why I'm here today and I wanted to explore that a little bit further. So I just reached out. People who reached out with, to me with DMs and people that I saw, you know, had concerns or, or, or were dissatisfied with this current narrative pharmacy practice. I said, you know, could we jump on a 15 to 20 minute call um, to discuss, you know, what is pharmacy like for you in that setting or in that country? Part of it was also led by the fact that I said, um, so I sit on a pharmacy board and what we do as a pharmacy board is we uh, foresee what challenges or opportunities lie ahead of the profession and how can we set competence standards that protect the patient from any changes in pharmacy practice and make sure that they're fit for purpose. So I wanted to explore, you know, what is happening both in New Zealand and around the world in terms of advances in pharmacy practice. You know, one of the biggest things, for example, I'm leading is telepharmacy. Um, the other next thing I see coming is pharmacogenomics, and I'm actually doing a narrative review that I'll be presenting about in FIP in, in Brisbane, is what is the landscape of, of pharmacogenomics and why is there so much reluctance to adopt pharmacogenomics into, into pharmacy school curriculum? And so that was the incentive for me to explore those challenges and everything that was captured from those 20 pharmacists, I kind of did a little thematic review and I've put down as 10 points in that, um, in that article. And look, the sentiments and the themes that were expressed by pharmacists globally are very similar. So yeah, that, that's how that article originated. If you want me to talk about it a little bit more, I'm happy to, but yeah. Perfect interview um, style uh, summary of it. <laughs> 
still going to reference it because I like the points that you're making throughout, um, you know, providers, our pharmacists, they've had enough of having more services piled on them with little recognition, with little reimbursement. It's pushing our pharmacists here in the States um, to look for more fulfilling roles as pharmacists, more clinical, more slowing it down and being more consultative. And um, when I, when we publish this interview with you, I am going to push this out to a hand-picked group of pharmacists in the States that are, is my network who are exactly that, who are building their own consultancy services, who are leveraging technology, who are very fascinated by the um, tools that are within pharmacogenomics. Um, there's uh, many of them that are part of the pharmacy network already, pharmacy podcast network already. But there's a common theme that you just said, uh, Katrina, and that is wanting the most out of their careers and getting most out of being a pharmacist and feeling fulfilled. Um, when I was in pharmacy technology, um, I was fulfilled. I really liked selling pharmacy software to long-term care and senior care um, pharmacies. I did it for about eight years. But I thought there was something more for me to be doing from an advocacy perspective in building a bigger voice for pharmacists through writing or through marketing or social media. And now I'm doing something that I am, I don't even feel like I go to work. I feel like this is, uh, you know, just a joy to to talk with pharmacists. And you're an example of how we're extending beyond um, the United States. We're, we're getting involved in Irish-based community pharmacies who are experiencing some of the exact same things that our United States-based pharmacies are facing. Um, our Australian-based pharmacist, London pharmacist, um, uh, Dr. Patel with Pharmacist Diaries that I follow on Instagram. Um, she's going to start uh, being a, a content developer. So this is an opportunity to listen and learn from each other. And Katrina, I want to feature you in upcoming discussions, maybe roundtable discussions where we bring in other digital um, health-focused pharmacists and really uh, getting a mind share from several of you who are leading um, consultancy and leading building your own pharmacist practice and and helping each other um, by staying ahead of it and and realizing that organizations, our state organizations, our federal organizations, even the FIP, it's the reason that you're one of their featured speakers is they're looking to the pharmacist who's literally doing it, not the pharmacist who's just talking about it. Because we can all talk about it and that's great and it sounds you know, interesting and fascinating, but it's pharmacists like you, Katrina, that is literally doing it and then showing the payers and showing the insurances and showing the health systems, here's what's working. And, and here's literally how we're saving lives by leveraging technology, whether that be telehealth or whether that be pharmacogenomics or nutrigenomics or uh, allergy testing or point of care testing blood testing, all of this is coming to the pharmacist to execute because once again, our primary care physicians are are out of time. And uh, like you said, it's almost like they're checking boxes on that EHR to assure that they get paid rather than slowing it down and really starting to pay attention to what the the patient, what are, there are clients, there are people that that they need your guidance, they need your help. Absolutely. And I think, look, pharmacists have got huge potential. And 
Uh, you started off uh, your last statement by saying that we tend to tend to capture the easy money that comes in. So like in respect to vaccinations, for example, beginning of the pandemic, it was kind of dumped on us and we just took it on board. You know, we're, we're there, we're accessible, we're available. Let's just do vaccinations. And look, at a period of time, you know, three, approximately three years ago when I hit out on this, on this route in my um, practice, I vaccinated for about three months. I took a, a temporary role at a vac vaccinator and look, I absolutely have nothing against pharmacists vaccinating. I think, you know, it's a great role, but I think we have a bigger role in addressing vaccination hesitancy rather than actually vaccinating and big difference in the two. We should not be sitting there japping people. I felt like a robot. Okay. <laughs> so I just did not, I did not find myself in it. And I just followed that gut instinct. Something inside me said to me, what, what the hell? Like you spent all these years at university to just sit there on a chair, no matter how much money you're getting paid just to jab people in the arm. It just did not feel right. And I know it sounds, it's, it's easy money for a community pharmacy, for retail pharmacy, for pharmacists, whatever, but it just, and you know, it may be bringing money into retail, but when you look at your staff who are doing it, the pharmacists who want to be on the ground dealing with patients with complexities and addressing, you know, medication adherence and medication issues, this is why they did pharmacy. It may not fulfill them. And this is why they may not be retained in the profession. This is why they will leave. And there's absolutely no reason. I, I talk about consultancy as a, as a potentially in an entrepreneurship and pharmacy and those who head out into uncharted waters and build their own careers. There is absolutely no reason why that model of care would not work in a retail pharmacy. You know, what stops a retail pharmacy from hiring a consultant pharmacist, having a consulting room and focus on providing clinical services within the pharmacy? Nothing. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah. And this is how we would want to portray ourselves as pharmacy, pharmacy providers. We don't want to be the, you know, the shop that people come in and, and buy slippers and, and candy and all sorts of, I don't know, like I just, I, it doesn't sit well with me. You know, how can a pharmacy sell things that are not related to medications? We have decided our fate when we expanded into everything that's not pharmacy related. So we need to go back to being clinical. We need to look inside what pharmacy is, not outside. Just go back to our deep roots of what what is pharmacy really about and what message do we want to portray to patients? You know, what do we want to be known for? How do we want to write our story? How do we want pharmacy to be portrayed to the public? This is, this is what underpins pharmacy practice. And we have a lot to do in that space. And I think it is upon us as a pharmacy workforce, as a pharmacist workforce, to take matters into our own hands and change that narrative, not stand on the sidelines and watch. You know, each and every single one of us, just if you talk about it, that creates awareness. So don't undermine the fact that you can use your voice to change things because it absolutely can. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is more and more pharmacists are realizing this. In the United States, the AMA, the American Medical Association, is the largest healthcare you know, lobbying network group in all of healthcare led by um, physicians. And the pharmacists uh, 20 and 30 years ago were not doing their job and getting their voices out there. They were just adhering to the process in place. And now pharmacists are realizing 
it's time to push back as the subject matter experts in all mm -hmm. medication, in contraindications, in drug, drug and drug allergy and everything that comes along with being a pharmacist and exercising to protect our patients. Because at the end of the day, I always say to the layperson, my friends, my family who don't really understand pharmacy, the number one purpose of our pharmacists throughout the world is to keep patients and keep people safe. That's the number one purpose. So therefore, That's right. you should do everything in your power as a pharmacist to do that. And with that comes opportunities to advance your own career and making, making a livelihood for you and your family and then rinse and repeat so that you, Katrina, can can inspire other pharmacists listening to your interview tonight. So I want to thank you for being a part of this. Um, we have to have you back. I'm going to, I'm going to organize a panel discussion with you and featuring some of your insights, but I'd like to expand upon uh, telepharmacy. I'd like to expand upon pharmacogenomics and some of the other things that you're doing, but I was thrilled to have you on the pharmacy podcast network representing pharmacists globally and I just want to applaud you, Katrina, for your work. I want you to know that it's not unseen. Um, I'm going to stalk you and 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 uh, and be a, a fan of yours, as I am of our pharmacists here in the States. But thank you so much, Katrina, for this time. Thank you so much, Dot, for having me here. And I'm absolutely on the platform, uh, on social media, to build a world in which pharmacists feel inspired to fulfill their highest, truest expression of themselves and to offer patient care to the best of their abilities. And like you said, to have, you know, medication safety at the core of what they do in their tasks every day. That is absolutely my purpose. And this is why I'm here. And look, I've loved the conversation, would love to be back. And please, you know, everyone who's listening, do stalk me. I'm happy for you to reach out and, you know, message and tell me what you think of the podcast and the content. And it's what keeps me writing, you know, the amount of DMs that I get every day about people, um, you know, saying that they've read articles or they've read posts and have inspired them. This is absolutely my purpose here and this is what I love to do and there's nothing be better than um, being part of a purpose than that is bigger than you, contributing to the bigger picture of healthcare to patient care to the world. Absolutely. That makes me happy. <laughs> Thank you so much. Katrina Azur, uh, leading a telehealth and telepharmacist and pharmacogenomics leader. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, Todd. See you.